The following is a paid program and does not necessarily reflect the opinions of the staff or management of visionary related entertainment. Aloha Maui. Hey, this is Josh Porter. And Jason Burkhardt. Welcome to the Solar Coaster, episode 106. This is a great show. Uh, this is with Graham Hill, a bit of a celebrity here uh, in Maui and throughout the world. He's the uh, founder. He's certainly local, but he's been back and forth, right? He goes to New York and does all sorts of fantastic stuff. All <laughs> kinds of cool things. Guy's kind of an innovator. He's yeah, thinking about how, uh, you know, so, so Graham is known uh, most, I think, for his very successful uh, founding of the Tree Hugger blog. Uh, about a decade ago, and he tells us all about that mm-hmm. in this show. And uh, but he's also now he's he's engaged uh, with this project called Life Edited, which is a really uh, interesting project that kind of examines how we live and how we can make some kind of uh, more dialed in decisions about uh, the homes we live in, the the products we use, how we can get better kind of value out of everything. It's a, it's a very thoughtful telegram. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as part of our continuing series on alternate uh, building techniques and, and lifestyle and energy conservation. Uh, talking to Graham was like a no, really no brainer. Yeah, and we met <laughs> him. He's, Jay. Been, he's been living it. He's been living it for years. For sure, for sure. And we we met him uh, probably a year, a year and a half ago, just around the time we start, maybe even two years ago, just around the time we started the solar coaster. Yep. I think because yeah, he created this really cool ohana out in Haiku, kind of just really just across the gulch from where I was living. And it it is a thousand square foot uh, Ohana, but it just kind of completely dialed in and did some amazing things out there, catchment and solar, it uses really cool sun, sun flare solar panels. Remember those, the ones that kind of go in between the ridges of a standing seam roof? And, and he used yep, blue yep. ion uh, technology with, I think, uh, Outback Radiant inverters, and he has this super robust solar system. He's completely off grid. So, uh, you know, we were out there kind of, with a, it, it kind of to as a nod to Hank, uh, Roger, and his team, Lori Sanders and uh, Kyle Bulger, uh, talking behind about behind the Blue Planet Energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we got, yes. yeah, we got to know uh, Graham as a result of that. And we we're like, oh, this is a neat guy. We should talk to him some more. So we finally yep. got an opportunity to do that. And we don't give up, man. That was like two years ago. We started talking about it. Finally, we did the interview, right? <laughs> finally got him on the show. Yeah, we got him. So uh, we're going to jump into Graham. that great interview uh, shortly. Uh, what do you think, Jay? Should we jump into our uh, uh, our housekeeping here? Absolutely. Okie doke, folks. So this is the Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy theme talk show right here in lovely Maui County. We can be found Fridays at 105 p.m. on Kaoi, 1110 a.m. Also some FM stations, 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry. Website www.solar-coaster.com carries all our old shows, 105 strong at this point. By the time we finish this show, it'll be 106. Uh, you can listen live if you're out of our broadcast area. Uh, scroll down, and you can actually get a send us a message directly to Solar Coaster. So if you have any questions, you don't want to call in for whatever reason, uh, fill it out on the website, and we'll get your question on the air. Uh, of course, there's photos, and there's actually going to be a lot more stuff because by the time we're you're listening to this, we'll be uh, traveling around and and getting a lot more information from uh, vendors and, and technologists in Europe. Uh, going to be a really interesting trip. Finally, uh, if you are a podcast person, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn all carry the Solar Coaster. So just look up the Solar Coaster and look for our little yellow SC logo. Take us everywhere you go. 
Absolutely. Uh, we have some amazing sponsors uh, that we uh, that are near and dear to our hearts. Sundrum Solar, Pantech Design, and LG Chem. And i got to say this about our sponsors, Jay, just briefly, right? So each of these companies that have kind of been there over the, the years with us and kind of, you know, been the, the shoulders that we stand on really helping us out, they're doing amazing things. And we do our best to kind of uh, to find the, the companies that are out there making really innovative decisions and technologies. Yeah, and we, don't, we don't ask everybody to be, in, be a sponsor. Yeah, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that have kind of aligned with the solar coaster are really doing some radical stuff. And that's going to become more clear over time. But uh, each of these companies is just, I think, a real leader in the industry. So thank you to our sponsors for helping us over the years and being a part of the solar coaster. So this is a Absolutely. call-in show. Uh, folks, 808-242-7800 is a call-in line. 808-242-7800. Uh, we are not here now, so you won't be able to do that at this show. But in the future, you can definitely do that, and we'll be happy to Certainly go to the, go to the, yeah, go to the, go to the website, fill out the, uh, the questionnaire, question submission little form and and we'll definitely get to it as soon as we possibly can all right let's uh turn over to our pantech design minute welcome to the pantech minute today's feature technology is the adapt powered crestron control system imagine having not only complete control of your home systems on your mobile devices but also having a trusted voice to make recommendations on steps you can take with your home energy system during inclement weather here's how it works when a typhoon or other weather event approaches your adapt system will contact you through a preset mechanism that you select, like an email or text. You are then presented with options on how to proceed. If this is a serious storm approaching, like we saw here in Maui this last season, your priorities may change considerably at that moment. Knowing which steps to take, and more importantly, how to initiate them may not be top of mind for you. With ADAPT-powered Crestron software looking out for you and your family, you can set your mind at ease. ADAPT will literally ask you, would you like to prepare for long-term grid outage and optimize your home systems across the board? Or is this a false alarm and make no changes to your system settings? Or would you like to take a moderate approach, curtailing some loads to have a little extra power on hand, but leaving others unchanged? With the ADAPT-powered Crestron systems, you are in charge of your family's energy security. This has been the Pantech Minute. Contact Pantech Design at pantechdesign.com to learn more today. Pantech Design is one of my favorite companies out there, and not only because of the technology and the innovative innovative step they've taken to integrate two different industries, uh, smart home equipment, smart home technology, and the renewable energy industry, which is our space. Uh, and I think that is just, when that type of thing happens, and they did that in October of 18 at SPI, I think there's it's just a really special thing, but also because of the people. Jay, think about uh, Troy and the way yeah. he handles, and Megan, and these they're just such good people that are just, they're ready to tackle these uh, challenges, no, it doesn't matter where it is, software challenges and, and things like that, and they're ready to create solutions so we can you know, go to market with this technology and do awesome things. So I just think they're awesome. Yeah, I've, I've been on the phone, I've been on the phone with Troy a lot, and we, we geek out being kind of engineer type people uh, on a lot of stuff. But what I am always in awe of is, is just rigid um, focus on absolute quality. He, yeah. he demands nothing less from from a lot of people. And he'll go toe-to-toe -to -toe with some big companies, which is pretty <laughs> impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing you know, the future to our doorsteps today. So, okay, so I think it's yeah. time for our uh, news and events, Jay. Absolutely. All right. Right off the bat, uh, Indian Ocean Island is home to a high-tech company um, called UniWatt, a re, sorry, re-UniWatt. Um, it's it's actually, um, gee, I forget the name of the island, but. Uh, <laughs> 
they, they um, have been working with the U.S. National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration to model better um, weather and and with a specific mind to solar energy production. This is kind of key. Um, we were out there uh, when we went to Molokai, we learned a lot about how long it really takes to spin up a generator when right. they need more power. You know, right. they need uh, like six minutes to really spin it. It's not just as simple as, as flipping a switch. Mm -hmm. um, and so they need some kind of prediction because solar, unfortunately, is, is non-deterministic. Uh, when you're out there and, and a cloud comes by, all of a sudden your production drops. And that's a problem in a utility kind of situation, yeah. especially yeah. if it's a big array. Um, so this new, this, this ReUniWatt company is providing next day, same day, and same hour uh, predictive modeling. Now, when I read this, I thought, oh, that's, that's really, really cool. But I re it reminded me of uh, a news story we did way back uh, January of 2018, uh -huh. uh, where the Department of Energy was doing the same thing. They're investing in uh, research and technologies. They invested $12 million into um, ways to improve solar forecasting. This is huge. And by the way, the name of the island is Reunion Island, very similar to Reunion. Well, that would be That's Reunion why you Watt. have okay, it. <laughs> yeah, French island located in the Indian Ocean. And yeah, I mean, yep. this is really um, a... a, a for, for, for the folks out there that are listening to this, it may not be so obvious why that's very relevant, right? So you had said before, Jay, right. it takes a long time to ramp up that um, the, 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 the power uh, generation systems to be able to accommodate when, when, when a cloud cover comes over, when rain comes over, or things like that, then the solar systems go down. It's the utility's responsibility to keep that um, amount of power and energy flowing, basically, right? And frequency at a certain yeah, level. Yeah, your, your demand so, doesn't go away just because a cloud came by. Exactly. So it, it it's required that um, the, the utility has to do that. And that's the thing that people really are not thinking about on a regular basis. It's not something that I was aware of for many years. And um, But if you can have, uh, if the utility can have predictive modeling, then I, then I guess what that means is that they're able to be more efficient with their spinning reserve. They're able to probably take more uh, kind of steps in advance and make sure that the grid is more stable as we have these intermittent kind of cloud cover and things of that nature. It reminds me of, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the, uh, the weather app, uh, Dark. Sky, I think is the name of it. And it's like, it, it was the first time to ever have minute by minute predictability in our lives for weather. And I installed this app when it first came out and it blew my mind. And it's like, uh, rain's coming, then you just feel rain on your hands. I mean, like that kind of stuff. It was just, it's bonkers, right? <laughs> so, no, I'm serious, man. It's really wild. So, and, and extremely granular, like, like you know, really granular, like from Mako out to Paia kind of, you know, distinctions. And, you know, so when you have that type of thing in the renewable energy space and you have that kind of, uh, you know, predictability and kind of uh, understanding of how what changes we have in weather, then the utility can be more efficient. And that, that makes a big difference, not only in costs, but also in GHGs and overall emissions. And they can do a better job of taking advantage of the, of the benefits of renewable energies. Yeah, one other, one other nice thing about this, though, is, is that what's playing into this is that a lot of these new installs are going to have storage built in. So the, the, the facilities themselves, the solar, large solar arrays, will be tolerant of this. Like, they'll be putting out power from a battery system that's on site right. with the solar. Right. And when the cloud comes by, well, the batteries kind of take over. And when the batteries, when the sun comes back, then the solar takes back over. But it's all going to be transparent to the utility. Uh, but for so it's large like, installs that don't have any storage, this is it's absolutely critical. 
That's interesting. So when when we have storage, but there's this is a, this is kind of more of a question than a statement, Jay. I don't know that either of us know this mm. answer, but you know, uh, of course, there's more storage being provided, and of course, there are the BESs, the battery energy storage systems out there that are to have multiple roles, right? They have the the mm -hmm. role to regulate frequency, have the role to create and store and shoulder energy. They have you know power uh, roles as well. So there's different things they can do, but um, there still is this need for spending reserve. Even is there something like the, the, I heard the term inertia, right? I don't know exactly. What that means, but there's something going on there. I gotta, I gotta talk to the utility guys again and find out what that absolute need over there is for those big generation systems. Well, I know, I know what the word means, but I, yeah, I think we need to get somebody from from Miko back on to specifically in that context. How are they using the word? Right, and then can, does that mean that we, we can't completely transition to solar bus batteries? And there always has to be that kind of thing, uh, that spinning reserve there for that, or is there the opportunity to take over that to, that that? That, that role with batteries itself. So very interesting, very cool to see this type of predictability come in, actually very relevant, and just generally the idea of going to an island in Reunion, uh, French Polynesia, French Indian Ocean, it sounds pretty good. Oh, you're looking at another field trip, aren't you? Uh, always, <laughs> I'm field trip Josh these days. Okay, so what's going on nice. with uh, drones, Jay? I want to talk about this. So solar drones, um, these, these are not the drones that you see with little, little cameras and, and propellers flying around. These are the really, really big, um, super skinny airplanes, aircraft that they want to fly uh, at high altitudes. And there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons to do this. It's not immediately clear. I mean, some people way back in, I think it was 1974, um, the Sunrise One was the first solar-powered aircraft that they were flying um, for, for a reasonable amount of time. But they're super thin, super fragile, super light. I mean, they're, they're the size of it, like a 737 or something, but they're actually really, really skinny. Um, and that's been their problem. Um, but what they want to do with these things is um, you can fly a fleet of them, and if they have enough longevity, I guess, at altitude, you know, we're talking weeks, months, maybe even years, depending on their design goals, um, that they simply won't land. So these are not, these are not manned aircraft. These are, these they are automated won't land. things. So that's why they, that's why they call them, they call them drones that way. So they're, they're mostly computer controlled, and but they would fly, fly at altitude and then you could actually provide services from them. So, uh, communication services is a big one. Everybody talks about a lot. It's, it's basically like having low Satellites. So this is lesser expensive so mechanism area. to uh, instead of putting up a satellite, which is up, you know, for, for a pretty expensive endeavor. We're talking about an, an, mm -hmm. a lesser expensive option for that potentially, right? Yeah, but not even not even that. I mean, satellites are honestly they're far away. I don't know if you've ever noticed or not, but when you do um, have a call or data communications, I used to work in IT a lot. With data communications, when it has to touch a satellite, it is many hundreds of uh, milliseconds up and back, so it, it there's a lot of delay. Oh, so these when are you have a, an aircraft, it's it's a much faster system, much much snappier communications. Well, I'll tell you what, and uh, we don't have a lot more time here, Jay, but I do want to say something. These names are awesome. Uh, the names on these uh, things are the, the Titan Aerospace Solora 50, 165-foot wingspan, 200-pound weight. Is it what? 200 pounds? Mm -hmm. yep. the, the Boeing DARPA Solar Eagle, right? The uh, o the Odysseus, uh, <laughs> right? The uh, uh, That seems not not well-named. Right, I know. Anytime you name something after Greek tragedy, you got you got something to worry about. Uh, and then yeah. what else? 
the, uh, the China Academy of uh, Aerospace Aerodynamics, the, Kai, the the rainbow, they they say it in Chinese, the, I don't know how to pronounce it, Kai Hong. Yeah, the, the, T, the T4 is, is what it is, but yeah. Hawk 30. Um, and they've, they've actually flown that. Um, Nope, oh, where'd you go? Oh, I'm right here, right here. Yeah, okay. they've actually found um, that one. But anyway, there's, there's, it's not just communication. They want to do other services from these things. Uh, you can do survey work uh, with cameras and stuff. They have early wildfire detection, which is critical for places like California. Um, flood damage or earthquake assessment and rescue and more. I mean, so many services that you can actually um, do this. And you can cover underserved areas really, really cheaply. You're not, you don't have to run cable at all. You don't have to put up towers at all. It's just send out a fleet of, of aircraft and they will be there. And so it's a super fast rollout. I and mean, there's, there's really a lot of reasons to do these things. Absolutely. And Jay, there was one more article. We're not going to have a lot of time to dig into it. but So we're just like we can reference it here. But state houses, not the sun, drive solar energy gaps. If, if folks would like to read this, this was at the Center for Public Integrity. We wanted to uh, grab this. It's publicintegrity.org. And they talk a little bit here, Jay, what, about the, um, the, you know, how solar actually gets going and where the, where the drivers of this are? P P yeah, people say solar is really popular in states where there's a lot of sunshine. But what we're actually finding is that it's, it's not. It's all policy-driven. States like... Um, Massachusetts and Vermont are actually doing much better than states like Texas, which should have a much higher solar penetration, but it's all down to policy. Remarkable. Remarkable. So you can check this out. There's some graphs there. They list the actual uh, state solar potential versus uh, reality. Uh, and that's kind of cool to get a sense of what's going on and why it's happening. I, we love to get that kind of clarity, you know, just to be able to see these articles that do a good job of bringing this data into us. So, yeah. okay, I think we're about ready to head over to uh, our commercial break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Graham Hill, the founder of uh, the uh, Treehugger bl uh, blog, as well as the uh, founder of Life Edited Life and Edited. the uh, owner of Life Edited Maui, the LEM, the really cool house in Haiku. Pantech Design is ushering the world into a new age of home energy automation through the convergence of smart home technologies and renewable energy management. Unifying solar energy production, intelligent energy storage, and smart breaker technologies with smart home devices, Pantech Design's complete home energy automation suite incorporates unprecedented control of lighting, shades, climate, security, hot water, electric vehicle charging, and many other systems. Contact Pantech today at PantechDesign.com. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system, combined photovoltaic and thermal, holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. LG is a leader in the home electronics industry and manufactures some of the most popular PV panels as well as many other appliances we've come to know and appreciate over the years. The same LG brand offers the LG Chem Rezu battery line for your home energy storage needs. Here in Hawaii, their primary model is the LG 10H Rezu with 9.3 kilowatt hours of usable capacity. The LG 10H Rezu can be used both to maximize consumption of solar energy at home and also functions as a source of backup power in the event that the grid goes down. LG Chem has increased production of their battery line for Hawaii's renewable energy solar market. Contact your local solar provider to learn more about the LG Chem 10H Resu battery. Okay, well those were our wonderful sponsors. Thank Keep you very much. Tracks. We love you guys every week. 
Solar coaster keeps on rolling. <laughs> hey, this um, th- we had a great opportunity here to uh, speak with Graham Hill, who is a bit of a renaissance man, the founder of the Tree Hugger blog and uh, involved with this amazing organization called Life Edited, I believe the founder of that organization. Uh, and he's here in Maui doing some really cool stuff. We're going to get a chance to talk with him. He's here now. Uh, Graham, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I hear you well. Sorry, I don't know if you heard my alarm. My, my alarm to uh, be on this call just went off. <laughs> no worries, no well. worries. No, <laughs> no worries problem. at all. Graham, thanks for taking the time out of your, your, your schedule, uh, changing the world to be uh, a, a part of the solar coaster. We really appreciate it. Um, you oh, know, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, we, um, we're we working on a couple on this kind of series, exploring alternative architecture. And that seems to be kind of squarely in your uh, kind of camp, right? So you've done some yeah. really amazing things. You're also a part of the Maui community. You've got this amazing house out in Haiku uh, that we've had the privilege to be able to go in and check out and yep. be a part of it and everything over the last year or so. Graham, why don't we just mm-hmm. get started and get a sense of who you are? Why don't you talk to let us let our listeners know who Graham Hill is? Sure. Uh, so I'm uh, undercover Canadian from near Montreal. I'm uh, 48, and um, I studied uh, architecture, a degree in architecture, and also studied a couple of years of product design. And um, I'm, I'm, I call myself a designpreneur because I think those are the two elements that most define me. So um, I like played it. a lot of seven years of design, obviously, but then I really ended up, uh, I've been sort of business-oriented since I was quite small. And so I've done a number of different companies. Um, I fell in love with the Internet very early on and started one of the early, uh, one of the first web companies to build websites back in 95 in Seattle, and that went very well with my cousin, and we grew it to 60 people and sold it, and so I was fortunate. I made some money at a very young age, when I was 28. Um, that brought me to New York, and I ended up um, getting into environmental things. Um, worked on a plant-based air filter for a while, um, but didn't get to where I wanted to get to, and, and ended up um, starting Tree Hugger, so that was... Uh, both uh, at the beginning of the sort of what I would say is the second sort of uptick in green, um, coinciding also with blogs. So I was in on sort of the ground floor of blogs. And so um, Tree Hugger was, is, continues to go uh, go quite well. It's a terrific site, um, sort of about a billion pages or so over the years um, and it was the biggest green site for a while and basically uh, at that point environmental media was um, pretty boring um, pretty <laughs> about stopping things um, so so largely negative and inspiring uh, sort of like sure. fear um, and love the hippies but the small part of our society and I think that part of that was just preventing it from going sort of mainstream so tree hugger is a very tongue-in-cheek name and the idea was to try to make environmentalism as exciting as it as it is and inspire people with hope and and pro-business and pro-technology nice. and to be able to wear a college shirt and live in a city and still call yourself an environmentalist. And so we, we pushed very hard and were the biggest site for a while and then sold to Discovery. And they've taken great care of uh, Tree Hugger over the years. And so it's I'm still going strong. Um, and that led me to uh, Life Edited, which is what I've been doing for the last 10 years or so. Um, and that's really about small living. So I think there's a huge opportunity um you want to inspire people, but if you can build models that people can can sign up to and copy and improve upon, I think that's a great way to go. And so um, 
one thing we've talked about on Trigger for a very long time is just how the first move, if you want to go green in terms of architecture, is to go smaller. There you and go. So, um, you know, effectively we have, as our families have shrunk in size, our houses have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger in, in many countries, certainly in North America. Sure. And, Absolutely. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I like the word small. Maybe conservative is better. <laughs> conservative. <laughs> conservative living. So yeah. it's uh, it, uh, it sounds small like you, it, it sounds there like uh, like Graham like you've kind of been surfing you know this these the, the these points in in in, in kind of um, I guess these innovation times right you were you were successful out in Seattle with your your web company you were able to get the get kind of on the, you said on the ground floor of this kind of environmental consciousness and this, this and, and, and at the same time that blogs were becoming popular and now you're you're here with life edited and you're talking about how people can live in a more kind of I guess um, uh, you know, somebody as small as part of it, but also thinking about kind of like a, just a smarter way to approach you know how mm-hmm. we live, right? How we make decisions about where we live, and I'm, and I think that this is really a, you know a pivotal time in that discussion, right? Because the, the the renewable energy industry is at a very a very very kind of exciting point in its growth, and uh, you mm-hmm. know of course we come at it from the perspective of hey, what's your energy consumption? And then what is okay? How much energy do we need to produce? Well, how, do, how, do, how do we to meet it? Right, that we're, we're trying to get to that level. But, yeah. but you're t- your what Graham's thing is is to actually bring it back the other way. So look at your energy consumption t- holistically, and then lower that to kind of meet your energy production. Well, yeah, it's maybe, it's, maybe, it's uh, a like bigger a, a, a it's, nice halfway. Yeah, well, it's a it's a it's a point. yeah it's it's a conversation that goes much farther than what we, than what we've been doing right in the right, renewable energy right. space. So it's as opposed to just hey. This is your, your your consumption is X, and we're going to meet it with Y. Now it's uh, what? How can we live a little bit more intelligently, and how can we make some decisions about how much space we? I mean, the average family home in the United States. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Graham, but I think it's around 2,700 square feet. Does that sound about yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in Maui, yeah, and it used to be a thousand in the 50s. There you go. Smaller families, so we have pretty much three times the space per person that we used to. You know, and we came so out. So my of, main, my main point is like both. You know, like I'm obviously an environmentalist, but. Uh, but it's the, the the more space and more stuff is not really working for us. Happiness levels are not higher, and uh, you know, I, having I'm very fortunate. I've you know I I grew up sort of middle class family, and you know, I was on my own for a period there. So I'm, certainly I've lived without money, and now I have money. So I sort of the, been able to see sort of both sides of the coin. It's what's very clear is that I, I agree with the studies that show that, you know, after seventy five, hundred thousand dollars a year, like you don't get much happier. Right. You can't, it doesn't change your Diminish, life. Diminishing returns, so, right? So, <clears throat> you know, my main point is that, that yeah, we can live smaller, smarter um, lives that are gonna save us a bunch of money, that are gonna reduce our environmental footprints, which is extremely important at this point. And the beauty of it is done done well, it's it, not a, a sad way to live it's, it's not sacrifice it's actually great like and so i've you know i've my last uh, apartment in new york which is uh, on the market now is 350 square feet and i lived in that for for years and you know i can afford a larger place but i was like very happy in that place it was very well done um tiny footprint super organized easy, easy to clean you know it had it did the things right it was quiet, had good air circulation, had good light, had small mm. ceilings, you know, and it just, it works. And so, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not, uh, I think the, I think the way forward, the easier way forward <laughs> 
is really for us to try to just uh, go backwards, I guess, in a, in a way. I think we can live with much smaller spaces, particularly with the technologies we have available now, and 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 be be happier than living in those larger spaces with a lot more stuff. And yeah, I find the whole thing fascinating because I go back and forth to Japan a lot, and Japan is one of those places where everybody's very vertical and living space is mm-hmm. very much at a premium. Uh, so I actually, yeah. I actually, I actually take a good look at all your. Uh, all your projects, the New York apartment especially, was was really fascinating to me. But there's a lot of these um, interesting projects, the, the modular ones, the transformer apartments, all mm-hmm. these things that, that people are able to do to get the absolute maximum flexibility out of a limited footprint. And and it's that mm-hmm. type of stuff that really really fascinates me. Yeah. So let's let's have a let's have a closer look at that. Now you've got, for example, here in Maui, you've got a project, right? It's called uh, the LEM. Is that is that the term you're using for it? Yeah, that stands for Life Edited Maui. Okay, so you get Life Edited Maui here, and it's a it's a it's a it's a ohana, right? You have a thousand square foot kind of permitted mm-hmm. structure, uh, but yep. you, you've got a lot of living space in that in that structure, and you have an, and it is a really inspiring place to be. And a lot of these ideas are things that we've kind of approached over the years, you know, time to time ourselves. But uh, you've got this really wonderful living space out there. It's there's a there's a, you can this great outdoor area that's kind of uh, got an mm-hmm. overhang to it. You've got a, a lot of bedrooms. So you could conceivably have a bunch of people in there, and it's really a thousand square mm-hmm. foot. It's meant to be like an, you know, it's in the Ohana designation. Yeah, but right? it doesn't feel cramped. No, at all. it feels huge. It feels huge. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about um, how your, um, you know, how your, what is your concept with that? What have you, how did you go into sure. that project, and then what did you hope to accomplish, and what, how did it turn out? Uh, well, my, I've been sort of, in a way, the reason I'm here is uh, I'm very close to my cousin Chelsea Hill been here for for a couple decades kind of thing and and for my love of kite surfing and so uh i would come and stay with her for a couple months during the winter and sort of work from here and get on the water a bunch and um i ended up being able to buy a piece of proper part of her property essentially Um, she they condominiumized it and and cut Mm -hmm. it off and so i had this beautiful piece of land in haiku with a view of the water and view of the mountains and going into the gulch and um, but um, because of the restrictions um, here, I was only allowed to build a thousand square feet, which is of course exciting for me because um, that's what I do. And so I, I basically took the kind of stuff I did in the past, this sort of small living transforming approach, um, and then added to it the idea of going fully off grid. And so that's what Life Edited Maui is about. And so the um, it's a, a two two story structure uh, the bottom is the garage and that's where the, the what I call the nerd center where all the, the, the big solar um, system is that is uh, blue ion batteries uh, Hank Rogers company that I got this incredible setup uh, 50 kilowatt hours of batteries and then um, all the inverters and charge controllers and all that and then on the, the top floor the main floor uh, it's a thousand square feet inside um, and then there's another 400 outside covered lanai with uh, pretty extensive um, overhangs and so it's very comfortable and so in a way I, I cheated although entirely legally within the building code and zoning etc um, the, the the we have these amazing anderson uh, sliding glass windows four sections like 16 feet wide that opens yeah. from the kitchen onto the outdoor covered lanai and, those, and that effectively um, we have these resource furniture um, transforming coffee tables Two of them, um, they triple in height and double in length, and then I've got these 
resource furniture, outdoor uh, couches. I'm waving my hands around. You can't see me. <laughs> um, and basically, we're able to, to modular. We're able to move things around. So I can have a sit-down dinner for 18 people uh, with those coffee tables uh, butted up next to each other. And so I get a lot out of that outdoor space. Um, then inside, um, there's a nice kitchen island that you can also eat at and an amazing bento box kitchen with uh, smeg appliances, all the induction burner and a uh, little kitchen nook. And then the rest of the house is basically four bedrooms, two and a half baths. And so I'm able to cram a ton of functionality into a small space. And, and so each of those rooms has its own story. Uh, the master is, is, is fairly simple, just installed 10-foot ceilings, um, so that definitely helps. And big, lots of windows onto an incredible view, so that helps as well. But um, basically, the three of the rooms transform uh, during the day. So we have these uh, resource furniture, clay, um, Murphy beds in two of them that have um, desks. Uh, one has a desk on the underside, one has a table on the underside. So... As you fold the bed away, queen-size bed, um, it reveals a table automatically. You can even leave uh, some stuff on top of the table. And so with that, paired with some pretty cool window seats in front of the big uh, windows, um, each of those bedrooms uh, also transforms into a room you can use as an office or for you know, doing art or writing or um, whatever you want. Um, and then the, the third room has a set of uh uh, Murphy bed bunk beds um, that go over a couch. So the couch just tucks automatically a little bit inside, and then you got these two bunk beds, and that's um, that's the third room. So we so get um, you've got a, we have a couple <clears throat> of, of uh, uh, half baths. I guess um, they're called separate uh, S E P A R E T T. These are the top of the line um, composting toilets from Sweden. And so we have a couple of those, and they're awesome. They're ventilating 24 hours a day, and they basically separate solid from liquid, which is a very smart move. And so they work very well. And I'm able. Oh, so you're not on septic or 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 um, or a leach. They, I unfortunately, you, you the the county uh, forces you to still do that. So oh, I spent okay. tens of thousands of dollars to do a full septic system, even though I basically need it for my kitchen sink, um, which is un- un- very unfortunate and hopefully will and that's, be more that's, and more. And, and Graham, if I may, you've got a lot going on there, right? So I kind of want to unpack yeah. for these things. It's a really wonderful uh, project and, and I'm excited about it. So um, I guess part of what you probably experienced is that the the parameters, the building codes, the, 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 the kind of um, the arena that you have to play in to kind of create mm-hmm. and birth this alternative architecture concepts can be a little rigid and can be difficult to work with. Would you say that's an accurate statement? Yeah, and listen, I don't, I'm not pointing the finger. Actually, the process was pretty smooth, and it's, you know, it's hard to make rules. Right. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not a uncommon for, for code and zoning to be a tricky thing. But, yeah, it's, it's not. It needs, just needs to evolve, and it's, mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 it's, it's slow. So, for example, I have this amazing water catchment system, um, but you're, I'm only allowed to use it for irrigation. Um, because you also have access to county water because i have access to county water and i'm 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 condominiumized yeah and so um the the rule as it is now is if i wanted to use uh, water for my house 
then I'd have to give up my water meter, which is shared gotcha. with Yeah, I've heard this story neighbors. before. Yeah, um, this also worth a lot of money. So right, so it's, it's a so there's stuff like that, which which you know I, I'm sure there's a way to set the regulations for water safety in place such that you could not require that, and then really you want to in, be incenting people. Mm-hmm. to uh, take advantage of this amazing situation in places like Haiku where right. an unbelievable amount of water comes from the sky a and, resource. and good water yeah, um, and and not have to you know, give up your water meter to do so. so yeah. But yeah, to answer your question, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's tricky and there, there are a whole bunch of rules that seem to make, make not a lot of sense. Um, but um, yeah. Here's an idea, Graham. Here's an idea. So as I'm as I'm thinking about your home, it's kind of like uber utilitarian home, right? So you've taken uh, a variety mm-hmm. of concepts and technologies and, and design principles, I suppose, and you've created this home that has just a, a lot of a utility, right? In a, in a relatively small space. And yeah. on, the, on, on another, if you were to think on a spectrum, my mind's kind of like look, thinking of this as a spectrum. I'm thinking on the one hand, what is the most kind of egregious example of conspicuous consumption in the United States right now? It's kind of like the McMansion, Right, and those are we're, we're, we're Jersey boys uh, originally, yeah. and that's mm-hmm. um, out in Marble, Marble, right? <laughs> that's yeah. where like the birth of the McMansions, yeah. and they're these you know mm-hmm. five ten thousand square foot kind of massive boxes with these huge. Everyone wanted that kind of vision, and at a certain point, maybe yeah. in the nineties or something, that became the thing, you know. And then and they were just popping up, you know, all over the place. And then on the other yep. hand, now you have this huge swing, and now there's this conversation about tiny homes, right? Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. and, and friends, and and, and I, I'm. I myself am fascinated by them. Uh, and we're, you know, we have a, a tiny home show scheduled with a couple of guys out of Canada, actually, Calgary, this uh, company called Zero Squared, really remarkable company. We have people living, uh, working with shipping containers. There's a recycling component to that, yep. recycling of existing, uh, you know, uh, uh, of, of t- um, materials that have been built. And then um, yep. you have uh, something, you're, you're kind of in a different world here, though. You're, you're really doing, you're kind of, uh, I don't know how, where you fit in that spectrum with the, with the limb, but you're definitely kind of making a comment to, about how people can live in a more utilitarian way. It's and, it, and it's it's kind of a nice it's a it's a nice space in that mm. continuum, if I can say that. I like yep. the space that you're occupying, right? And, yeah, it's a good space because you know the tiny homes are wonderful and exciting, but you know they're pretty small, right? And you could live in them. And I have friends that are into it right now, and I think my, you know I kind of think, oh, maybe I try that out too. But uh, but I, mm. I definitely am excited about. Uh, I think there's a practicality, and there's also kind of like the opportunity to kind of, you know, to to, to what's that to to preach the gospel and to get other maybe people and families yeah. across the country to adopt something more like what Graham's doing. Uh, there, there's a lot of legs. Yeah, to listen, this. I, I think what's really important is there's different strokes for different folks, and so there's you know we don't we're not looking for one housing type that sort of works for for everyone, and and, and different things. Um, you know, work better than others. And so I think there's an absolutely a, a space for tiny homes. And I'm actually building one right now. It's 85 square feet. And I, it'll have a queen-size bed. It'll seat six for dinner. It'll have a home office uh, and a great kitchen and uh, uh, a little little toilet room and the whole shebang in a, in a tiny space. And so you can do some really cool stuff. But but also, you actually get efficiency with the larger houses. Like uh, often, when I do my apartments, 400, 350 square feet, what have you, people will be like, "Oh, what about families?" And so, you know, this is like this is life at Maui is is about families. It's a, it is a four bedroom, and uh, it to say it is utilitarian. It does work very well, but it, that makes it sound like there's no soul to it. It's an amazing place. Like mm. it's got fantastic materials. Like it feels 
great. I did a really good job on the acoustics, and, like, it's a really lovely place to, to live. So, you know, we're trying to show that you can do less with more. And if you if you say it's four-bedroom, four like, if you had, you know, a couple there, you could easily get, say, five or six people, then you're under, you're 150, 200 square foot per person. And so that's, like, ha- that's that's twice as efficient as my New York apartment. So, um, so we're starting to we're, we're starting to get close to this idea about um, how much what what type of how many how many inputs do we need for uh, that's what we were for, talking about yeah, over right? lunch right yeah exactly. so what, what are the like, total <laughs> when when you have a smaller place there you, it takes less to build it less materials less you're emitting less GHGs it's just less overall energy right and if uh-huh. um yep. and and then are, are you thinking in terms of like a input per person over time for the best longevity are you thinking in terms of these kinds of like metrics is that is a formula kind of a kind of form getting get put developing in your mind for for how to optimize the amount of inputs we use over time oh i definitely think about that and i think that's you know really it's thinking about it from pulling out as far as you can and thinking about it holistically as possible so really like i i, I think uh, the amount of hours of usage is really important right. too. Like sure. if you, you can do the green, uh, some greenhouse vacation house that has everything under the sun. It's got the solar panels. It's got gray water. It's got blah blah blah. But if it's only used two two months a year, you just threw up your ratio. Then, then, if you, <laughs> right. then if you look at the piece of crap that's terribly done, uh, no installation, not, none of that, but it gets a ton of use. That's actually going to be the greener solution. So I think really. It's uh, your emissions per occupant hour. Um, emissions, like, there it is. Per I occupant knew, hour. I, I, knew, like I knew he was yeah, going to. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he was going to have a variable here for us to work with. So emissions per occupant hour. Yeah, I yeah, like that. Yeah, so you like you would add up. Okay, well, what what are what about all the, the body energy, etc. Takes to put the thing together, the house, or the apartment building, sure. or the tiny house, or whatever. Then what does it take to run it during its lifetime, and then what what does it take to decommission it? Mm-hmm. Add, a, add add all up oh, and divide by that, the. We didn't even think about that one. I just got actually. <laughs> I just got goosebumps. Thanks for your buck. Okay, so have and you think, started to look yeah. at some of these numbers? Like, I mean, have you seen some of these these metrics? Because I haven't. I, I'll tell you that I look at the numbers all day long in relationship to to the renewable energy world. But this is what I'd, I I kind of want to start to get a sense for. I mean, we can talk. <laughs> can, we, can we talk in terms of GHGs? Can we talk in terms of uh, kilowatt. Yeah, what, what are the what are no industries? Yeah, but I think that I think that's the way you know you can figure it out or you can just you know design design for it. But I think that that should be the approach. And I've thought this for many years. I wrote about it. I think, oh, a long so time you're going to have to do it. On <laughs> Trigger and but yeah, we, we need a new uh, unit of so, measure. Though. <laughs> what is that unit <laughs> of measure? <laughs> so, the, but, but I mean, you can you can get down to the brass tacks, or you can just go. Well, what that what that means is. You do the, as green places as you can, but you also try to optimize for use. Yeah, you know, like yeah. You know, this is Bucky Fuller stuff talking about. You yeah. know, our bedrooms are only used a third of the time, and our kitchens are only used a quarter of the time, or whatever. Like this, empty space is good for no one, and so um, trying to design places to transform and and, and ways that they're they're used yeah. a ton are, is what what makes a lot of sense. I mean, working at home is an example. Yeah, and so a, a lot of these, these sort of sharing systems that have come make make a ton of sense because you just you're you're 
you're using an unused resource. New ownership so models. Think, New ownership models. That, yeah, this that is, Graham, this is this kind of reminds me or it starts to feel a little bit like the discussion that's going on with mobility. Right, mm-hmm. the the, mm-hmm. the the new ownership yeah. concepts for for cars and 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 and, and for EVs, of yeah. course, and then of, and just a, a 24 hours ago, uh, Musk. Uh, this name, of course, pops up on this show from time to time. Uh, he uh, tweeted that uh, within a year, he'll have a million uh, 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 robotic Uber type of taxis uh, around. The Tesla and, yeah. and that uh, owners of the Tesla with the autonomous driving capability, I guess at this level, maybe it's level five, I don't know, uh, could uh, make up to a th- $30,000 a year in leasing out their cars to go around and you know, ostensibly pick people up robotically and drop them off robotically, right? Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's, um, this is a, you know, it's a different concept on how we utilize our resources, yeah. right? Uh, getting much, much, much more out of them rather than, because cars are, what, 90 plus percent of the time, 95 or something like that, some absurd number, are yep. sitting around doing nothing, right? Yeah. And you're Correct. talking about it from the perspective of our housing, the same yep. kind of thing. Same same conversation, just a different object. Yeah. <laughs> how do we yeah, optimize that like, space? Like uh, I always have this, dumb idea but in in new york like there there are people who have incredible houses or apartments in the city and then incredible places out in the hamptons yeah. <laughs> and, and so if you could just live their opposite life then you know they they'd get some money and have someone take care of their place and and you'd get a bargain oh you mean like a, so, a like an airbnb thing you mean well just I mean, just, it could be property could management. Be formal, could, but <laughs> right. I would think more informally. Just right. you, you, you become, you live that other person's, that rich person with the amazing places, opposite life, and like, right. you know, because they're not there, they're not in the city and on the weekends. They're out in the Hamptons, and they're right. not in the Hamptons during. The, oh, the opposite. The I see. Yeah, so. I see. Take advantage of when they're not in those two, one of those two places, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So, so yeah, I think, and also just a, a point on on just efficiency like there there is a but if you like apartment buildings it's all about sharing right we're just it's all about sharing and so a lot of the stuff is the more efficient you get i mean you get efficiency from stuff like apartment buildings like a tiny house is cool and you're small footage but you still need a bathroom a kitchen you know all sorts of electronics and stuff and and its own foundation essentially the trailer and blah 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 um, but as you share the stuff it becomes more and more efficient mm. that's why apartment buildings uh, make it make a ton of sense and probably are really are the going to be the greenest of all because my, my mind the, went back to college dorms share the best <laughs> your, your mind went back, went back to what college dorms <laughs> yeah exactly so okay, so you're saying that the um, the 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 apartment building is probably one of the most one of the greenest actual kind of manifestations of this because we get yeah. to share these resources, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, and then you've got you know if you think about apartment build apartment in the middle of that apartment building, it's got one wall to the outside. So if the part if the apartment is a cube, the six sides, it's got one side to the elements. All the rest are, are shared. So if you think about trying to heat or cool any of those other six. Six side or five sides, um, it's like way easier because you're sharing it with all the other others around it. Okay, yeah, so that's, that's just something on like heating and yep. heating, cooling. But then all your all your systems, like you just you don't you don't you need each if, if separate houses all need their own water heater, their own, and, and so you, you think of the multiplication while it's just making generally just sizing them up. 
is way more efficient. And that's why a lot of these like small apartments and stuff are high cost per square foot because the cheap square footage is that in the middle of the room is just a piece of floor and a piece of ceiling. The expensive stuff is the kitchens and the bathrooms and all that. All the all the those are the expensive bits. And so as you as you scale up, um, your cost per square foot goes down. Okay, so we've we've gotten into some kind of philosophical territory here, which we like. That's kind of our, <laughs> sure. our, our, now let me ask you a quick uh, kind of. Um, uh, practical question. Uh, here in Maui, you've got uh, somewhere around 150,000-ish plus people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more than that right now, of course. And uh, we have a what's termed the affordable housing crisis on our hands, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, folks are having a rough time affording, uh, you know, put, buying houses, getting into real estate, uh, the uh, you know, and, and then building to be able to meet the uh, purchasing capabilities of the community can be difficult. Do you have any kind of is there something that you've learned from your your experimentation, your designpreneur uh, world that you've experienced over the last decade? Is there anything that you can see, or that you that you have like some insights for policymakers or for our community? Is there anything out there that's like really outstanding? Maybe you just said it. Maybe it was the mm-hmm. the, the community, um, the apartment buildings. But I mean, is there anything that you would like to add in that space? I'm just curious. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, in the right place, apartment buildings can be super efficient and, and can de- can deliver housing at a che- much cheaper than your average sort of house kind of thing. Um, I think that done right, the tiny houses are actually a piece of the puzzle and, and okay. could really help. Um, because of their ease of mobility, like if you could do them, and in particular if you could make them off-grid so they're really self-sufficient, um, I feel like um, there's like empty land or, or land that's empty for a period um, that could be sort of take, taken advantage of. And I think the more we are able to sort of put people in various places, um, uh, the beautiful thing is, is you can't, like, so say, say you bought a piece of land and um, it's in the area sort of so-so. And so it's not time to, to uh, maximize your square footage and build some beautiful high-end home it's just too be, be way too early but that that may happen in 10 15 20 years whatever um so that's a great opportunity for uh, being able to build something or occupy the property and make some money but not um but but push off um the, the building what ultimately probably should be should be there and so i think the tiny house the off-grid tiny houses could be a real way to capitalize um, on land where, wherever there is possibility for a dwelling. And I think nice. that, that could help reduce it. And I also, I think it's terrific because uh, I think it reduces the cost. So say a tiny house is in the 50 to 150 kind of range. You know, this is something that the American dream has always been about sort of owning your own home. And this is the kind of thing that people with not a lot of money could start to own something. And they sure. might be paying rent for where they put the tiny house. But they're um, they're they're you know paying a mortgage and and slowly owning their building their equity home and ultimately at some point yeah they're building equity and so I think there, there's something beautiful uh, about that as well and of course they they uh, 
it, it would be pretty hard to make them uh, energy inefficient <laughs> because they're so small. I, I, you know, I want to share something with you just before we wrap. We're just we're running out of time right about now, but there's a just sure. in that area in of uh, the tiny homes. One of our sponsors, mm-hmm. Sundrum Solar, uh, makes a really a uh, uh, really awesome technology. It's basically a heat sink that extracts the heat waste heat from a PV panel, right? And he um, it, it's something that he runs through a heat exchanging system and can be used to create DHW domestic hot water. It can be used to for spas and pools and, and air conditioning and heating, right, through heat pumps. <clears throat> and this technology, yeah. up until recently, has only really worked on large-scale uh, commercial or large-scale, you know, large homes uh, that had really significant uh, thermal needs. But he's, uh-huh. uh, he's, he's got, just sent me a case study about a, a month ago, and he can make it work uh, very effectively for small homes, even like uh, tiny homes, possibly, mm-hmm. right? And so what occurred to me is that given the square footage uh, on your typical tiny home, let's say it's 20 to 30 feet long, something like that, that might be a little bit big. But you can do quite a bit with PV already for a production, mm-hmm. probably a lot more than you need for your consumption in that house if it's developed in, a, in the right kind of way, right? Meaning you're making good choices about the types of appliances you're putting in there, like you would said, inductive cooking, for example, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, but this could amplify your uh, your generation capability and your storage capability from you have both uh, generation and PV from you know electric generation you have storage and some batteries but then you also have thermal generation and you have thermal storage right in both yep. water and yep. air mm. and so it, it really could put you in a situation where you're squarely in uh, a net energy positive production territory and that could be steered mm-hmm. towards transpo. And uh-huh. so that is very exciting to me. And I think we're just emerging into that space right now. We're talking about 80 plus percent, 86, I think is the case study, 86 percent overall combined uh, efficiency in harvesting the sun- sunlight, Graham. Uh, wow. Yeah, right? So we're going to have to look cl- more closely at that. And maybe uh, the tiny homes can play a really important role in that in just the way you described yeah. it, this kind of intermediary like stage. It. So very what good. What was the name? Uh, it's called Sundrum Solar. Sundrum. Yeah. And Michael Interior is a good friend and a sponsor of the Solar Coaster, and we've worked on some projects together. So, um, yeah, I, I, Graham, I want to thank you. I wish we had more time. It's been fascinating to hear about your <laughs> your, oh, the, your your story, your background with Treehugger and uh, the blog, and then now to Life Edit It. And uh, I'm really uh, glad that you're here in Maui uh, and pushing the limits of our alternative architecture and all your ideas about how to live better. So thank you so Thanks much. So much. I, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about your projects or about possibly – are you running your home now? Did I hear that too? Yeah, I'm trying to, I mean, I can't let it go, but I'm trying to rent it out for sort of six to nine months. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for the... How can they find you to, uh, to um, if someone wants to rent I'm that beautiful easy. house? I'm uh, Graham Hill at Gmail. Awesome. <laughs> Well, there he is. Well, thanks again, Graham. We really appreciate it. Hey, right folks. <laughs> hey, folks. This has been the, the Solar Coaster, uh, sponsored by Sundrum Solar, Pantech Design, and LG Chem. Have a great weekend. <laughs>